Where in hell can you go? Far from the things that you know Far from the sprawl of concrete That keeps crawling its way Keep your heart off your sleeve Guppy Productions present From Colchester to Sulawesi Written for Colm Radio by Phil Boast and Paula Larcher. Episode 23. Myth and Magic. Learning how the people here live their lives and go about their daily business is endlessly interesting. And to me, one of the most fascinating aspects of this is their absolute belief in the supernatural and how there are so many parallels and similarities to stories that we were brought up with in England. Every human society, it seems, has its own version of ghosts, unquiet spirits, vampires, elves and so on, some being powers for the good and some not. But we all have them in one form or another, and our ways of dealing with them are also similar. Everyone knows, for example, that garlic is used to deter vampires, and exorcism is a useful counter to people who become possessed of evil. The near equivalent of elves here are called Bidadari, which can either be good elves or bad elves. Apparently, since Neoman was at junior school, he says he has had a very pretty lady elf who has lived with him and does her best to protect him against misfortune and presumably against bad elves. Something similar are two jewels, which are very small and have no hair and are always mischievous, but nothing worse than that. Two jewels steal small objects or move things around so you can't find them, and the way to deter them is to light a fire of chicken feathers, which makes them choke and go and do their mischief elsewhere. Apparently, we have two two jewels already living in the lodge, so there's something we should look out for. Somewhat more serious is the beautiful full-grown woman who lives under a certain mango tree between Bahowo and Tonkana, the next village. She has horses' hooves for feet and appears on the road at night, which often causes motorbike accidents. And everyone walking between the villages after dark walks very quickly past this particular tree, lest she make her unwished-for appearance. Worst of all, though, is the songcock. A songcock is a man during the day and an evil spirit at night who can fly and can be heard at night flying about and calling his distinctive cock-cock-cock as he goes. His method of attacking adults is to hit them in the back of the legs by adopting a sitting position with his legs out straight, elevated about a foot off the ground. He then carries his victim away and throws him or her into Mount Lockon, one of our local active volcanoes. Quite what he stands to gain by this is unclear. So we assume that here is evil for evil's sake and nothing more or less than that. His speciality, however, is stealing newborn babies. A songcock is deterred by the smell of onions or lemons. But best of all, and to be certain, fires are always lit at night around the houses where a baby has just been born as the songcock cannot then approach the house. Everyone knows who the songcocks are. There is one who or which lives in worry, 
a village not far from Bahowo, and we ask whether he has any friends in his earthly, everyday form, and apparently he does. We suppose it isn't his fault that he's also a songcock, it's just one of those things. Phil has heard the songcock once flying past the lodge in the dead of night, and we assume it's a nocturnal bird, but not around here. Here, a songcock is a songcock, and about the worst manifestation of evil that has to be lived with, and must at all times be guarded against. That said, not all songcocks are bad, although most are, but one does occasionally encounter a good one, who will make you feel strong. Whether this is physical or spiritual strength, we're not sure, but anyway, it's a good thing. The problem, we suppose, being that if you meet one, you might not know whether it's good or bad until it's too late. Evil can take many forms, and one night under our mango tree we are told the story of two sisters in the village, both of whom died on their respective birthdays under mysterious circumstances. Since both were young and in perfect health prior to their sudden and inexplicable deaths, Sulce, our cook, found both of them, one of whom was wife to Mr. Gustav, and the other was wife to Marvelous Marwin, who is currently one of our carpenters. In any case, foul deeds are suspected, and Newman's father, who is a white witch doctor and a man of great perceptive powers, was called upon to investigate. He walked once through the village, and with no hesitation pointed to Mr. Philippus, whom he accused of being the murderer, and told him in no uncertain terms to stop killing people. Mr. Philippus said, okay, he would stop killing people, and the mystery was solved. The villagers asked Newman's father to kill Mr. Philippus to avenge the deaths, but he refused, saying that he was a white witch doctor, and as such didn't kill people. Mr. Philippus lives in the village to this day, and as far as we know has killed no one since. Another story that we are told is about James, second eldest son to Aris and Sulce, who would for a while wake up each night somewhere in the village with no idea as to how he'd got there, other than that he had thought he had been accompanied or led by a young woman. All assumed that he must be possessed of some evil force, and once again Yeoman's father was called to the village, who by some mysterious means carried out some form of exorcism, after which James slept peacefully in his bed. 
If asked about his own abilities, Newman merely smiles knowingly and says that of all his brothers and one sister, he alone has inherited his father's healing powers, although he will not expand upon this, perhaps out of modesty or suspicion that we will not take him seriously. What is beyond doubt, however, is that he has a deep and learned understanding of the workings of the human body and can cure Paula of her quite regular headaches by way of massage. Apparently it's all to do with blood flow, but whatever it's to do with, it works, and we are determined to inquire further when we have more time here. One way, perhaps, to ward off evil is to be baptised into the Christian faith. And this happened one day to Mr Martin, who was persuaded to join the congregation of the Pentecostal Church, having formerly been a Protestant. This involves full immersion in water, which around here means in the sea. And to this end, the Pentecostal vicar took Mr. Martin onto the village beach, with the rest of the congregation gathered around to witness the event. Hymns were sung and prayers were said as Mr. Martin was gently pushed underwater. But then, something strange happened. Mr. Martin disappeared completely. The vicar sort of fished around, but could find no trace of him in the murky water. So what had happened? Had the good Lord so soon claimed Mr. Martin, body and soul? Was this a miracle witnessed by all present? What had actually happened is that Mr. Martin, who has a well-developed sense of humour and was clearly not taking matters very seriously, had swum off underwater and into the mangroves, from whence he appeared after a couple of minutes, large as life and still very much of this world. This was much to the general amusement of all, except the vicar, who did not see the funny side of it and refused to allow Mr. Martin to join his church. It would be an easy thing for us to dismiss such beliefs in magic and supernatural powers as superstitious nonsense, which defy rational thought and would not stand up to conventional scientific scrutiny. But if something is believed, it can become as real as any other reality, and the impact of such beliefs on people here is real enough. The lady who runs the local dive centre once had some dive gear stolen, and instead of involving the police, which would have achieved nothing, she threatened to summon the local dukun, or witch doctor, to find the culprit, and by the next morning the gear was back where it was taken from. Spells and such also work hand in hand with traditional herbal medicines and healing methods, which can be extremely effective. And believing that you will be cured can go a long way toward being cured, just as believing that you are cursed and will die can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. We lived our early impressionable years being presented with Bible stories which we were given to believe were the truth, gospel truth in fact, and by any rationale these take a lot of believing. So the truth can be a subjective thing, and depends where in the world you lay your head. Truth, like beauty, can often be in the eye of the beholder, and this can be as true of science as it is of any other discipline. So one day soon we will bring our secular Western scepticism into this place to live amongst these warm and wonderful people, and let them believe what they will. It's all part of a much bigger thing and far be it from us to tell them that they're wrong. Motherland, cradle me 
beside me, don't go Don't you go Find out what further adventures are in store for Phil and Paula as they travel from Colchester to Sulawesi in the next episode of Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Bill's Big Bag of Onions is a guppy production for Colne Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. <laughs> <laughs>